You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you from nowhere. Uh, you know, literally nowhere. Uh, this place looks a lot different than it does the last time that we were here. Uh, in fact, I finally they finally got all the Christmas decorations down. Uh, so, but uh, with me, as she is every single week, is the one and only Christy Morris. Christy, how are you doing? I'm a good dog. <laughs> um, I don't know how to respond to that, so I'm just going <laughs> to continue and pretend like you didn't say anything because i'm not saying anything that's going to get me into trouble uh but <laughs> you can just say hey cosmo good job <laughs> hey cosmo good job um ooh, good name too because you know cosmo the dog cosmo the drink so there you go yep but uh we are so excited to be back this week and we've got a brand new film in the theaters guardians of the galaxy 3 to talk about as the guardians trilogy comes to an end finally but before we get to that just a huge thank you we love that you're listening we really appreciate it uh if you are listening we would love to catch up with you. So, you know, find us on social media and interact with us over on Twitter at the 602 Club. You can also find us on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Please subscribe wherever you're getting this podcast so you'll get our episodes as soon as they drop. Help share the shows too on social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, or any of those places. Let people know you're listening. Also, you can really help us out by going over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a star rating and review. Spotify, you can also rate podcasts with a star rating there. So any of that helps the show grow. You can also find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We've got the listeners-only discussion group there where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about all the podcasts we're doing. Of course, you can also find us at trek.fm. And Christy, actually, uh, over there, I, I... did something new, um, you know, we just hit May the 4th, which uh, it's late for everyone, but May the 4th be with you. And uh, over at Trek.fm, now you can find a special page that has just every single episode of our Star Wars podcast that we've done here in the 602 Club in one place. So if you've ever mm. wanted just to, you know, as a listener, you wanted to see all of the Star Wars podcasts that we've done um, here in the 602 Club, you can find that. We almost have, I think we've got 96 episodes of Star Wars content just here in, in the 602 Club, which is really cool. So you can check that out. And you can go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team and make sure that all of these podcasts keep coming to you each and every week. Not only the 602 Club, but everything else that we're doing we can't do this without you, and so we would really appreciate if you would go over to Patreon um, and support us. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Well, uh, since you've been gone, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, have actually been away from the theater for six years in their own film. Of course, they've been in uh, Avengers movies, they were in Thor Love and Thunder uh, but 
this is the first time that we've had a new Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Christy, and I honestly couldn't believe that it had been that long since they had been on screen in their own film. It did feel like it wasn't as long as it actually was, but I mean, when I thought about it, I guess, yeah, I mean, I was trying to remember um, the last time I had even watched volume two at home. So it had even been a while since then. So um, it was nice to finally be back in the universe with them specifically in their own movie to not be, you know, having them here and there as side characters. Um, And, you know, to answer all those questions of where we left off originally at Mm -hmm. the end of Endgame. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, so, you know, with the fact that Endgame had brought an alternate version of Gamora back um, and, you know, we've got to deal with that, um, kind of dealing with the ramifications of everything that's happened with the team, with the Avengers, of course, you know, being in a little bit of love and thunder with Thor. Um, thankfully, we actually don't really deal with that. But I, I thought what was most interesting about the film, and we're going to kind of talk more in depth about this, but, you know, since they've been gone, I, there was still a lot to deal with in the sense of there were a lot of loose hanging threads for this um, with uh, the idea that the Sovereign were still out there. Um, you know, we had Adam Warlock had been set up and the um, and credit sequence there in the second film. Um, there were still plenty of questions to be answered, honestly, about characters we have, like, you know, Rocket. We even had things like the idea of, you know, Peter still has family on Earth that he's never mm-hmm. seen since he was abducted. I mean, there are all of these things that I think that I was surprised, and I think in many ways just pleasantly surprised that this movie was actually going to try and bring closure to as many questions about these characters that had been raised as possible. And in all honesty, you know, I I think that's exactly what I wanted from this film, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, if we're truly kind of bringing the Guardians of the Galaxy films to a close, that's what I feel like this needed. Well, and I think that although you have a lot of different stories that are going on that need to be wrapped up and they did confirm that this was going to be the last of the guardians movies anyway. Um, I think that they still had to make sure that there was one central story that was focused on more than any of the others. So yes, they're all going on concurrently, but also it was always previously Quill's story primarily um, you know, at least like 80%. You know, the first movie was about why he got taken by the Ravagers. Um, and then the second was about how he comes to meet his biological father and uh, deals with that. And now this one is the first one that's not solely about Quill's story, but actually mm-hmm. goes into the background for Rocket. Yeah. Which was awesome because, I mean, thinking back, that's the only other real big backstory that we didn't know much about. He just would refer to occasionally how terrible it was. Right. Right. No, I mean, I think that's an excellent point. Um, in, in when you're thinking about 
lingering questions for the Guardians characters. I think Rocket's backstory is absolutely, you know, one of the the biggest that had been there. And so, like you said, them actually finally diving into that and and really um, that becomes the impetus for the entire film, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. and what happens, which I think is a really fantastic thing, too, because what's interesting about that is that, you know, Rocket... Um, as a character and, and um, you know, I kind of love the idea. I think it's a great time to even just kind of dive into the, his story. You know, um, I love that we find out how he gets his name. You know, mm-hmm. this is a rocket man and that's what he wants most is this is this character. But um, I think one of the things about Rocket is that he is and always has been a true standout character in the films um and part of that has always been i think bradley cooper's delivery of the the voice work for him and then i I, i've always felt like that too just the visual effect of rocket they have always put so much time into making us feel like that character is legitimately on screen next to all of these people who do exist Mm -hmm. um and I've never doubted his existence, right, in that way. Um, and so to finally go down this road and give us the terrible tale of Rocket's beginning was incredibly moving. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that it helps do is that, you know, every single one of the films, you kind of were mapping the trajectory we were getting with Quill. Mm-hmm. But all of the Guardians movies have subtly become more and more serious. And so this movie taking on this story of Rocket's past and it leading into the present. I mean, this I don't know if anybody thought going into this film, this movie is going to be pretty heavy. Um, But I I was really appreciative of the fact that. This is a rough story and 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 therefore we do take it very seriously what's going on with mm-hmm. the characters and the impact it's having on everyone and um yeah I mean so diving into his story was just uh I I I mean I'm I'm, I'm having trouble with the words honestly because I I felt so moved by what we got with the character. And, you know, I was thinking part of that probably as well is definitely speaking to what you said as, as about the effects work um, coupled with the voice work that it absolutely, for one, is really difficult to animate fur. Yeah, yep. Because it's like every individual strand. I mean, think about it. How many (laughs) strands of hair a raccoon has. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, they had a really tough job and they do it so well to where you do believe that he's real. But then also, I don't know if you realized that a lot of times in this one, the way that they're filming scenes with Rocket was close ups of his eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very many times. And I think that that also adds to that dramatic effect of really showing the sadness, the overwhelm, the um, just 
awe of like not believing what you're seeing that mm-hmm. you're seeing all of these things play out by just staring at Rocket's eyes. So I loved that yeah. as well. Well, and and like you said, absolutely, because they're bringing to life this terrible thing of the way that Rocket is treated here to be experimented on, um, to basically be told that you're not good enough the way you are and that you need to be transformed into something else, mm-hmm. you know, um, and... His dealing with the fact that not only was he experimented on, but he's a throwaway experiment. Like, he's not important. Um, Well, except for his brain. Exactly. Exactly. And and so, I mean, it it truly goes to, uh, you know, with this story with Rocket, I was thinking about how many people unfortunately in our world grow up like this where they're told that they're not good enough and that they have to earn people's love and that they they have to do all of these things to try and be good enough for somebody else right and Mm -hmm. that how they were made is not good enough you know so feeling like they have to change who they are from the inside out or the outside in, right? To mm-hmm. be good enough for somebody else, maybe even sometimes themselves, right? Like, and so I just, to tell this story um, and to do it with a CGI raccoon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a CGI trash panda is what it, we're telling the 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 crux of the emotional work of this film through it was just phenomenal and and i and you know i also thought it was beautiful too because you know so much of this movie rocket is in backstory and so the emotional weight of what this character means is brought out by all of the other characters' reactions to Rocket, almost you know, being on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. And so to see, you know, Peter calling him his best friend um, after all of these years and of them being together, and you know the way in which, um, you know, it affects uh nebula who's just you know basically perturbed at everything all the time you know because that's just her the, her way of being or mm-hmm. you know the the way it affects you know mantis or or uh drax i mean it's just i think there's something so beautiful in in again a, a character that doesn't actually exist on screen mm-hmm. but is is so brought to life because everybody's emotional reaction to them being on their deathbed is is just so harrowing and moving and i I think it just really it leaves you feeling so much oh yeah and i i love too that they show that it's not as simple as just resuscitating him that he was made special and so the way to save him is a very special method to you know um, kill off this kill switch right. so that it won't kill him. Um, and I like that they also play on the theme of, you know, this is also reflecting about doing animal testing. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And and that these animals don't have a choice in all the things that they're put through when that happens. Um, and, you know, I, I love that ultimately they have the high evolutionary yelling at his captain about why Rocket is so important. Because he finally realized he was like, I don't understand why Rocket is able to do the things he is because he was an accident. And yet he is the most valuable out of every experiment I've ever made because mm-hmm. something right. happened with him that was different and I can't seem to replicate it. Yeah. And so that was awesome because it's like, yeah, that's exactly how creation itself works. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sometimes things weren't supposed to happen the way that they came together, but they did and made something completely unique. Yeah. I mean, I think the beauty of, <laughs> I, I kept thinking of this, uh, everything in song titles, but like, you know, the high evolutionary is Mac the knife. And like, he's, mm-hmm. he is like, you're saying he's just so obsessed with creating a perfect universe. And, I really like where you're going with this because yet with all of his tinkering and all of his quote unquote perfecting, you know, his one creation of actual genius is a fluke accident. Yep. You know, he's, he truly shows himself to, to not be the God he basically longs to be because he can't actually create and pass on a divine spark to his creation in the way that he desires to like mm-hmm. he can create people um, that are able to do pretty amazing things, but he can't create on purpose people who are able to then create just because they think of something with their imagination. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it also just shows too. Like, he does uh, this thing where he's supposedly created this perfect world in the counter-Earth, and yet, what do we see there? Like, all the things that are happening on our world are happening there. You know, people that are unhappy, people that are selling drugs, people that are, you know, like, so... They're violent. Exactly, exactly. And so, basically, he doesn't have a way to breed out you know human nature right out of whatever he's created um and you know i think it just it, there's something so interesting about this movie because it shows that for all of our technological prowess and for all of our abilities we're never going to be god you know, and maybe playing God with ourselves is not a good thing. Maybe the way we are, the way we were created, is what we were meant to be, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that trying to change what we are in the sense of like with all of this, you know, technology and medicine and all these things, maybe that's not a great thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and so because us playing God with ourselves, apparently, I think this movie does a great job of showing we are really crummy gods. <laughs> in <the> right. <laughs> well, and he's still not creating new life either. No, no. He's just yeah. messing with already living beings, which is even worse because he's acting like they have no feelings or say in the matter. 
Um, and that was the other thing that gosh, just broke my heart because I mean, I think we could all say we all love animals. Um, when rocket is a baby and his mm-hmm. new friends are talking to him and all he can say is it hurts. I about broke down crying in the theater. Yeah. No, I, I mean, there's something I think really moving about this because I think it's also something that, you know, we all feel in our lives, which is there are many times, you know, as throughout the growing up process, as we even talked about with uh, Peter Pan and Wendy last week and just in general where we don't feel good enough, we don't feel loved enough and and therefore we feel sense this need in ourselves to change something about us to make us more lovable or you know any of those type of things and those are not things that are actually going to make us better or happy right Mm -hmm. um and so i just again something about this just really struck a chord with me because I feel that we live, I sense and see that we live in a world that is so obsessed with who we are, like as, you know, a, a being, like as I, who, who am I as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And we're so obsessed with trying to answer that question. And there are so many different answers to those questions. And we're either looking to ourselves to answer that question and and or we're looking to other people to answer that question um and to me it's clear that there there can only be one answer to that question and it can't come from anyone who's fallible and therefore the only source of that can come from an infallible source um and it's it's not us right and Mm -hmm. so it has to be something else and so you know anyway uh getting very philosophical but um this this really uh, it it just i'm it hit me really hard watching the film like this and it makes sense i mean i think that you also see the the opposite perspective that you kind of led me to thinking about this on a different level is that's what makes the guardians so great because they're literally like the island of misfit toys. They're a bunch of weirdos that found each other and accepted each other the way that they are. And it doesn't mean that they don't squabble about it, but that's why I thought that moment between Nebula, Mantis Mm -hmm. and Drax was so great. Because she's like, you know, she's insulting him, but not meaning to and being like, he might be stupid, but he still has value. Yes. No, I think that's a I think that's a great way of putting it, because the beauty of what the Guardians do for one another is to accept one another as they are. But Mm -hmm. they're also in many ways helping one another because they're living together and loving one another sacrificially they're helping each other be the better versions of themselves and you know it this this whole series has been about them um slowly through their relationships with one another being able to see 
the thing that they need to do for themselves that will make them a better version of themselves. And that's kind of, you know, where we end the the movie, right? Is everybody having that realization and then choosing what path they're going to walk on then as they move forward. And and we'll talk about all of those different paths here, but I like that you're juxtaposing that against this high evolutionary who is trying to force everybody into one mold and not appreciating that we have all been created diversely for a reason, right? And so trying to force everybody to be one thing is is not the right thing um, because we are all created uniquely. And therefore, um, we need to be able to live in that created uniqueness and helping one another to become the best version of that, not mm-hmm. what, you know, um, some random weirdo thinks that we should be because they want to be God, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I think that's a, I'm really glad you pointed that out because it, it does really, I think, bring the whole series in a sense into focus as to what we're trying to do from, you know, the first movie to the third movie. And, you know, it, it's what Rocket finds with his new friends, um, that were introduced to for the first time and then tragically he loses um floor lila and teefs <laughs> and it was so cute how they came up with their names and everything too but yeah it that also reminded me even of a, that scene from toy story with all of the you know oh my gosh. toys that said yes <laughs> oh i seriously did did this not look like sid's bedroom right <laughs> like seriously yeah. Yeah, I actually leaned over to uh, my wife and said that uh, because that's exactly what it looked like. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, uh, kind of speaking of, and we're going to talk now, uh, I think, a lot about all of these different characters' paths that they take. And, you know, um, apparently Peter hasn't been listening to Journey and because if he had been, he would, you know, be told don't stop believing but Mm -hmm. uh at at the beginning of this film he's definitely in a place where he's almost ready to give up he's in so much pain and because of that he's drinking too much because of what happened with gamora and i think one of the best things about this film and it was so ridiculously beautiful was the the vice that mantis gives to peter through Drax, because nobody listens to her, mm-hmm. but about learning to swim. And this is such great advice, because if you are a person who believes that somebody is going to complete you, that is never going to happen. Because nobody can bear the weight of completing another person. You can't even begin to carry that. And so realizing that throughout this film that Peter can't ask somebody else to complete him. He needs to figure out who he is on his own and be a whole person before he could actually really um, be 
or as close as we ever could get to being a, a more whole person um, before he could ever really truly be in a relationship like that in the first place. Uh, because it, that weight is impossible to carry for anyone. And, and and I love how Gamora herself, you know, in this film, even though she doesn't remember, she's also rightly rejecting the fact of what Peter's kind of asking for from her. Um, because there's no way she could do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you brought that up too, because if you think about it from her perspective, it's like they're strangers. And he's saying, well, you used to be like this and this and this. And she finally just breaks down and it's like, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not now. I don't know you. I don't know any of that. For all I know, you could be making it up. So stop trying to force me to be who you used to know and accept that I'm a different person. And, you know, for Peter, it's like she did die because all that he knew is gone and she is some stranger, but he also is wrong for constantly trying to make her be who she was. Because for, for better or for worse, she is changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's like you can see it from both sides. But mm-hmm. definitely, you know, you're right. Like, no one is perfect. And you can't expect to get everything you could possibly need out of one person. Right. Um, because that's not possible. Like they're never going to live up to those expectations. Oh yeah. Well, and, and I think I I really like what you said there because she doesn't have those experiences Mm -hmm. and, you know, experiences are what help us become who we are. And they define who we are, right, in many ways. And so by him expecting her to be the same person without those experiences just doesn't make sense. And I think he realizes that by the end. And instead of trying to create really new experiences for them um, together to maybe have her possibly feel the same way because obviously you know if the previous Gomorrah could fall in love with Peter this Gomorrah could too right but Mm -hmm. it's going to take them having shared experiences together and when too much of the time he's trying to make her the old Gomorrah instead of like creating experiences and and living experiences with her that would allow her to see who he is and and do it in a way that it's, yeah, you're, you're having to start over. But if you really love this person enough that you would want to do that again, um, you're going to have to live those experiences together, you know, mm-hmm. and it's going to take time. And so I think what I loved about, you know, Peter in the film is that, you know, we see him doing a lot of things that, uh, you know, are really difficult for him in the sense that, you know, he is in this place where he feels like he's the central reason why everybody, like, he's the central reason why everybody around him has died or left, 
you know, whether it's his father, whether it's his, um, you know, his mother, his friends, um, you know, like he's had all of these terrible experiences happen to him. And, you know, him wanting to save Rocket is so much about wanting to prevent something else terrible happening to somebody he loves. And I think that's a hard burden to live with when you have this feeling like, I'm cancer to everyone around me and that Mm -hmm. I'm the reason that bad things keep happening to people. I mean, that's a terrible burden to live with. And I loved that in the the end, the answer for him was honestly, stop trying to be a hero and figure out who he is to get more emotionally healthy um, by going back to earth and, and being with his grandpa, uh, especially since his grandpa probably won't have, uh, you know, an extended period of time left. So use that time to, to find, you know, I hate to say that the term find himself, but mm-hmm. to find himself who he is without trying to be something else to everybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, again, find that emotional, maturity and health that he doesn't have right now because you know i mean he was raised by pirates and a terrible life and and like he he needs some serious therapy (laughs) yeah no kidding and i mean he says too i've been running this whole time yeah and that was such a huge point that i didn't consciously think about before but it's like yeah you're right i mean it wasn't his fault obviously that he got taken by the ravagers but like mantis said you had a grandpa there still on earth and you never went back to him even when you could you chose not to go back so you have been running and so i love that she made him confront himself um and really got him out of this haze that he's put himself in because of losing Gamora. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're both definitely on the same page with everything, Peter. And, um, you know, I, the one thing I will say was a little disappointing for me with him and Gamora this time around was I felt like at the end of this movie, they had finally had some of those experiences again, and it would have made sense if there was something romantic starting and then they didn't fulfill that. And I was kind of surprised. Yeah. I mean, I kept uh, honestly, when I was thinking about their story and Gamora's story in general, I kept kind of coming back to that song by Adele. Don't you remember, you know, where she's like pleading, like, don't you remember? Like, Mm-hmm. And, and that Peter doing that to her, but I, I this is one of the things I I know that James Gunn has has mentioned that there are things that he might not have done and he probably wouldn't have done when it came to like the Avengers movies with these characters, and I feel like the Gamora story is the place where this uh, what they did really ended up, um, kind of hurting where he might want to go with the characters um, because Gamora not remembering and now working with the Ravengers and Sly Stallone's Dakar. Um, I, and, and like you said, like you feel that they have gone through some of those experiences that would, that if they continue to walk down the road together, 
um, they would be able to, you know, find their way back to each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of sad because the character had this really crazy arc, especially, you know, with the Avengers films. And then it just feels like we were never able to you know, since they bring her back to to really fully realize her again as a character because there's just not enough time. Mm-hmm. Like it just fizzled out and you're like, this isn't the end I wanted for Gamora. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly uh, 100% how I'm feeling, which I guess it leads me to a question for you with her. I mean, because of where they leave it with her and Peter, I mean, I guess if we never saw the characters, the Again, I, I'm i left with the feeling that they would probably end up together down the road, most likely. Um, but, I, I mean, I doubt we'll really ever see that story, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you feel that way at all, or did you feel like it was more, I mean, no pun intended, nebulous? <laughs> um, I felt like it was kind of left open-ended, like I'm really not sure if they're going to end up together because they're showing that she's been fully accepted into this new family with the Ravagers and that she doesn't seem to need Peter. And so, you know, True, I yeah. I don't know. But maybe, too, the whole thing is that Peter would just keep following after her anyway. Um, and they did say in the teaser at the end that we're going to see Star-Lord again. So, I don't know, maybe we will get more of that story. I definitely agree with you in the sense that, you know, Gamora seems to be in a much healthier place in the sense that she's not in, quote unquote, need of anyone. Right. She's getting to Mm -hmm. make the choice of where she wants to be and and what she wants to be doing. And it, it, it more seemed like that they could end up together in the future, especially because of the choice that Peter made. Right. Which mm-hmm. is to walk away from her, to walk away from the Guardians, to go and, you know, uh, find out who he is beyond trying to be a hero, mm-hmm. you know, um, and to to live up to that expectation even on himself um, before he has the emotional health to be able to do that. And so, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It is, I think it. If there's anything maybe slightly unsatisfying about the film, it is probably Gamora's story um, because it just feels like because there's so much else we're having to do in this film, specifically focusing on Rocket and his story, which is exactly what we should be doing, and the fact that we have all of these other characters we're trying to deal with as well, that hers maybe be, gets the most short shrift of of any of the characters mm-hmm. which you know leads me to her sister nebula who realizes that she should like herself just the way she is you know uh and i really enjoyed watching nebula's story uh, mainly because I, I feel like in, in many ways she had always been somebody that we weren't paying enough attention to and to have her be more central in this movie uh, I thought was really great. I mean, I, I think too Karen Gillan deserves that, especially at this point. Um, and to 
leave the character then in this place where she has been able to find a way that is, I think, more healthy in the sense that she's taking all of that pain that she's had in her life and to use all of those terrible things that have happened to her um, and create a place where she can hopefully make sure that doesn't continue to happen to other people, to pour mm-hmm. all that into um, living a life for for others in, I think, a really beautiful way. Um, and I, I, you know, her, again, walking away from the Guardians to, to not be that type of hero, but to be basically like an everyday hero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the type of hero that we can all be. And I thought that was just so beautiful to watch this character move into that place. Well, and that we've seen people in general, you know, you can go one of two ways when you're in terrible pain and that's either become more of a bad person or decide mm-hmm. to go against the grain and become a good person. That's a great point. Yep. And she does that. She's like, you know what? I've had enough pain. I've finally got others that accept me the way that I am. And I've found something I can do with that that's good. And so I love that they pick up with her being the one that's really kind of Peter's keeper right now as he's going through this emotional pain. She's the one that then scoops him up and takes him to his room. Right. And... um. That's a very selfless and unlike Nebula thing to do. You know, in the past, she would have said, deal with it. <laughs> what? Why do I care? So that's really cool that they have her making this move character wise. And then still having that connection with Gamora, that at least Gamora remembers those things about, you know, their right. relationship prior to the snap. Um, and that Nebula still has some growing to do. You know, I love the scene where she and Drax are talking and she says, you never said that you knew their language. And he says, you never asked. And it's like, you know, you can't just take off on your own and not even ask other people that are with you how they could help as well. Yeah, I I think I I love that. I I really love that you pointed that out because the the beauty of this was showing Nebula um, all the places that she can grow still. Um, Like you talked about, I mean, even um, kind of her anger management issues. um, And and instead of being so cynical, um, she's finding a way to, I think, turn that around. uh, And... Part of that, like you talked about at the beginning of the film, is her selflessness and and being willing to take care of Peter when he's not taking care of himself, right? Um, mm-hmm. the, it's strange to find her slightly more emotionally stable than just about anybody else in this film and being the one who feels like the most stable by the end of the film. You know, she's really come into her own, and I think that's pretty beautiful, actually, to see... And that, you know, she has learned that she needs to look to other people for help uh, and to ask them their opinions uh, and not just think that she's always right. Um, And to learn to find the best in people instead of just Mm -hmm. the annoyances 
Um, and to then pour that into, again, you know, making sure that, you know, as we've seen in, in the in the Marvel galaxy, it's a pretty terrible place. It's full of people who are willing to take advantage of others for their own benefit and in really horrible ways, right? And and or play God in really horrible ways with people. And mm-hmm. her goal now is to make nowhere a place that people can come as a sanctuary from that and to help people overcome the terrible things that have happened in their lives, just the way that she's had to by creating community, right? Which I think mm-hmm. is also the the beauty of her, right? Somebody who was always pushing people away has now become the person who's helping bring people together. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was awesome. And her deciding that she's now going to lead everyone on nowhere, mm-hmm. I thought was so yeah. fitting. Yeah. And that then we're giving the opportunity for the other characters to find themselves as well. Yes. Like Drax, who I have to say for a while, I forgot that he had had a daughter (laughs) before. Yeah. Because, you know, he's usually just the comic relief. So it was nice giving him something to do this time and really focusing on that was his biggest strength. And I think even one of the characters says you're getting to do what you were born to do and that's be a good dad. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, like Mantis and Drax, I mean, they're just kind of shamelessly themselves. They're just shameless in Mm -hmm. that. And I think there's a real beauty in that because they both help other people in this movie realize that you need to embrace who you are while at the same time embracing the the ability to become a better version of that as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I mean, like you said, you know, Drax showing himself to be smarter than we ever thought, but also showing himself to have a softer side than we ever thought. Um, and and mm-hmm. like you mentioned, the, the idea of him being a father, you know, and that fatherly nature then coming out again um, so that we leave him in a place that, yeah, he's, he's kind of the father figure to all of these kids that they've rescued from the high evolutionary, which is incredibly mm-hmm. beautiful. And then on the other side, in many ways, I think it's interesting that the two children of ego, Mantis and, and Star-Lord or Peter, uh, end up in the same place type of place right they need to figure out who they are beyond the expectations and that they've placed on themselves and that anybody else has placed on them and Mm -hmm. i really again i I was i love the interplay between mantis and drax in the first place and obviously they're more side characters to the rest of the film as compared to the others but i felt like their storylines do such a great job of kind of complementing other people's storylines so that you get Mantis kind of complimenting the story we're telling for Peter. And I think Drax kind of complimenting the story we're actually telling for Nebula in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to say Mantis is my favorite character now of this whole story because not only is she very funny, but then she has these super emotional moments 
And I right. love that they give her a chance to say at the end, I never had a choice before of what to do with my life. I was forced to do whatever my father wanted me to do. And then I got picked up by you guys. Not that I don't like being with you, but it's never been my choice to be where I'm at and doing what I'm doing. So I need to go and figure out who I am as well. And I love that they have her connect with those monsters in the pit. And finally, she's the one that says they eat batteries, not people. Yes, that was awesome. (laughs) I love that. And then she's riding them and going, did that look cool? Yes, yes. No, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. And this is, I think, one of the things that the the movie is able to do well, because as we talked about at the beginning, the whole point of this is is to try and bring this trilogy and these characters to a close. And and I think for these two characters, I, I unlike Gamora, I do feel um, more satisfied with their end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really great. Um, and, you know... I, one of the hallmarks of the Guardians films is that they're kind of fun, 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 right? There's a lot of fun. And we, we we talked about the fact that this movie is very serious and it takes itself very seriously and the situations that it's in. But I also felt like this movie did a fantastic job of fitting in the fun and that the humor felt right for what we're trying to do. And it wasn't overcoming or taking over in any ways. And so, like, the whole... Cosmo the dog thing I thought was really funny uh, and really well mm-hmm. done and I, I felt like the way in which the, the bickering back and forth with Mantis and Drax really worked well in this film I also just felt like the humor um, between the characters so much of it and I think the reason so much of it works with Guardians is that it's sarcastic humor so much of the time and you know, that really works for all of them. I mean, just the whole thing where Peter's complaining in the lift about how Gamora came back as a dick and, you know, like going through the whole thing mm-hmm. and and then Nebula being like, you left out some really important points, but that is the gist of it. And like, that's funny. Yeah. Like, it's so, I mean, I've complained many a times about Marvel films where the humor just seems to, overcome the rest of the movie and and take away from the seriousness. But here I felt like, in all honesty, James Gunn did a perfect job of inserting the right type of humor for the scenes where Mm -hmm. it's there. Well, and speaking of (laughs) F-words... Yeah! Open the door! Yep. We have the first F-word in a Marvel movie, uh, which actually I don't know if you've seen the interview that Chris Pratt did about it, but he was like... You think this is the first time I've tried to get one in? (laughs) They just finally let me. (laughs) So, um, and he was so proud that he was the one that got to do it. But it just, it was the perfect moment to do it if you were going to. Um, And they made sure that, you know, it was allowed with the rating that they were given for the movie. You get one. Yep. And it was funny. There it is. It was very funny. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) So it added to the fun um, and it, it and it felt right. Like you said, you know, it didn't it didn't cheapen anything. The jokes here didn't feel like they were dumb jokes, just leaning into the humor instead of telling a good story. It was Guardian's humor that I think we've grown accustomed to. 
Yes, and 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 on top of that, I think one of the things you know, I don't know Adam Warlock from the comics, but I thought yeah, that I allowing uh, this character to be kind of more comic relief, you know, him and his his mother uh, to be more comic relief, Aisha, um, was hysterical, and you know the fact mm-hmm. that they kind of play him as you know this this young teen basically almost like a cross between a middle school and a high schooler where you know he hasn't cooked quite long enough and so he's he's not <laughs> all quite there um but he wants to be i like to me that was great i i and again i mm-hmm. felt like it was a way to find a place to insert humor into the movie that worked and it made sense because of the fact that the high evolutionary had taken adam warlock out of his chamber his cooking chamber or whatever it is you know his growing chamber growth chamber what i have no idea but you know um, (laughs) uh before he was ready you know Mm -hmm. uh he cracked the egg before he was ready to hatch and so what came out was somebody who was not quite all there in a very funny way some stuff missing exactly so no i love that yeah, my favorite moment with him, I have to say, was uh, the juxtaposition of him versus Gamora. And she says, uh, <laughs> one more move and the dog gets it. <laughs> yeah, that was very He's like, funny. whoa, don't be rash. Yes, yes. <laughs> All of that was great. And I, uh, that actor was just, I, I, he did a really good job uh, in the role. And, and I did want to say, um, to go along with what you were talking about with Cosmo the dog, um, Sean Gunn playing Craglin as well, um, playing off of the dog Cosmo and then also um, having his own little story of trying to follow in Yandu's footsteps and having that flashback, mm-hmm. um, learning how to use the arrow to whistle properly and like follow your heart, I thought was so sweet yeah. and meaningful. And I even was just thrilled to see the flashback of yondu yeah i thought that was great too um so i i couldn't remember his name and and but will Poulter, i remember seeing the last time i saw him uh and really remember him is he was in the chronicles of narnia he played Eustace scrub uh and voyage of the dawn treader i remember that being the first time i've seen him and he's been in other things like uh the maze runner and the revenant uh and other things like that so He's become an incredibly good actor, I think, uh, but so funny in this. And yeah, absolutely just well done. Um, I, You know, Chrissy, one of the things that we've talked about in most of the uh, recent Marvel movies is how they haven't looked great. And we, you know, praised the fact that uh, one of the things that the Guardians movies have done, especially with, you know, character work like... Uh, and CGI work with characters like Rocket have been phenomenal. But I mean, Guardians 3, you look so good to me. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen a Marvel movie look this good in a very long time. And so consistent with the visual effects. I mean, I was astounded by what a Marvel movie could look like when all of the effects felt consistent the entire film. And, you know, part of that as well is it wasn't just effects this time. There were a lot more practical effects. I actually saw that apparently the ship, um, the practical effects side that they built was three stories tall. 
I mean, talk about going for it. <laughs> and it, and I mean, it works. It looks good. I mean, I, it just, yeah. I, I was thinking too of when they were on the the biosphere uh, planet thing, uh, and you know they're cutting through and and just like. Oh, yeah, the epidermis layer. All of that stuff, though, just (laughs) looked very good. Uh, It was so realistic. It was gross. But um, I I just, again, I I can't praise this movie enough for that. And I think it is really something uh, that should be shouted from the mountaintops. Marvel can look great if they actually spend the time to make it look great. And I'm very mm-hmm. thankful that they did because the other Guardians movies have also looked great. And so it was nice to see consistency there and did a great job. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad this movie looks fantastic. Uh, and speaking of fantastic, you know, we get kind of song beneath the song with another awesome mix. And so how did this one work for you since, you know, Guardians movies are very much known for their mix of music. I have to say this was the only other place where I was a little let down. There were a couple of things that were exciting to hear um, just because I really enjoy Beastie Boys, for example, with No Sleep Till Brooklyn. That was nice. Um, And then the callback to um, Quill's song, which is um, Come and Get Your Love, Mm -hmm. was cute. But I I think that it felt like something was missing. And I get the idea that obviously with the seriousness of a lot of this story, you want more serious music. But I mm-hmm. felt like they were able to still do that well with music that was more recognizable um, in one and two. And yeah. just more heartwarming mm-hmm. than a lot of these choices were. And maybe it's just mm-hmm. me, maybe because I'm not like a Radiohead person. Um, that was like the title song when you first start the movie. Um, but it felt like a lot of things that I was going, I have never heard this song before and I really don't get why it was chosen. Yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, I think, you know, obviously the fact that they're playing with the Zune um, and the fact that they're choosing music from not just, you know, the the kind of like the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. um, but they're they're going with you know music from 90s and 2000s as well uh, does change the feel uh, I agree with you I did like um, having uh, the Beastie Boys there I actually really liked Since You've Been Gone from Rainbow I'd never really heard that song until the trailer came out but I think the song is really fun um, you know, they do have some earth, wind and fire in there, which was great. Uh, and it was really well placed. Mm-hmm. Hilarious, hilariously. Uh, and, um, you know, you had some brute Springsteen in there and stuff like that. I, I thought Florence, the machine dog days are over was, was a nice choice at the very end. That was a good choice. Yeah. So, but I think you're right in that overall, you know, I remember specifically with, uh, awesome mix two. One of the, I mean, just absolute perfect usage of, of music was Come a Little Bit Closer by Jay and the Americans. In that scene where yes. Yondu is just ripping through everybody with Rocket uh, on the ship. I mean, it's the perfect placement of music to just create the scene. And I think the only place that really happened here was maybe with the Beastie Boys. 
otherwise it just yeah i think there's something about kind of changing this to where i feel like you know gun is very good at choosing music but i do feel like there are places where and i know he struggled a lot with this uh, i was reading an article i i feel like there are places where he might have possibly chosen something slightly more well known just so that you know that continued the trend i think that we were getting with the other two where that's it's mm-hmm. all this music that's very familiar but it's perfectly placed and i think there were some places where the music wasn't quite as well known and you could have possibly chosen a song from the same era and same genre and all that that was more well known and it might have fit just better i don't know so but mm-hmm. i mean i don't make movies so what do i know um, but I, I am right there with you, actually. I think this is good. It's just not as great as the first two were, specifically. So, mm-hmm. um, well, we're where the sidewalk ends with the characters and, and the guardians as we knew them. Um, and so, how did you feel about the way this brings this all to a close? I mean, the movie ends up with Rocket reading New Guardians with, you know, a, a full-grown group. And Cosmo and Craglin at Adam Warlock and others um, going on their new missions. You know, we have where everybody else leaves. And, you know, if we really never, ever see the Guardians again, do you do you feel satisfied, I guess, with kind of where these character stories and, and where this ends? I'd say yes, because I think that naturally, where else would you see it going to give it a feeling that it's wrapped up? Um I think that it was always a ragtag group that ended up together, sort of like a D&D campaign, actually. Um, and that now they've got to go their separate ways, at least for a while. And so they leave it open-ended enough where I think in our minds, we kind of make up our own ending of where everybody ends up. But I like where they've left it. I think that, especially with Rocket, I love... Quill saying, you're the captain now, and everybody saluting him. Um, and I like that, you know, like we were saying earlier with Quill and with Mantis, that they're getting to choose their own destiny now and really go and find themselves individually. Um, so it, it makes sense. But I do wish that at least with Quill, that there had been a little bit more information given Um in that stinger when he's eating breakfast with his grandpa, it felt very much like we waited till the very, very end of the credits to not really get much information. Yeah. Like the whole scene didn't even seem to make sense as to like, mm-hmm. should we know who this neighbor is that he's alluding to yeah. or does it mean nothing? Yeah. I, uh, I like the way you put that in, in the idea of like, basically uh, we're giving a lot of these characters a place to choose, choose your own adventure. Yeah. And I think that's great. You know, um, I think one of the things that this does is actually create a trilogy where you can leave the characters. And if you never see them again, you do kind of feel satisfied with the journey you've been on with them. And I think one of the problems with the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general is the fact that it seems to want to go on forever. And there is, I mean, you... You can't do that. 
in live action because right. people get too old to play characters unlike comic books that can just be drawn as the same age forever or the Simpsons, right? You know, it's just, but that's not the way this works. And so you do have to find a way to bring things to an end. And obviously it seems like we're going to see Peter Quill and Star-Lord again at some point. Chris Pratt said that, you know, if it's the right thing, he'll come back. Um, but I don't know how you do this specifically. And one of the things that a lot of these actors talked about is that, you know, maybe they might return if if James Gunn was there, but it would be hard to do without him because he's so indelibly marked these characters with his writing style. And, you know, I think the way some of these characters were used in the Avengers films actually suffered from the fact that James Gunn wasn't there writing them and helping along the way. And so I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm very happy personally with where this ends, but I think where it goes and what they do with any of these characters after this, I'm a lot more trepidatious about. And so mm-hmm. because I, I think... um in all honesty, yeah, I think James Gunn kind of owns the Guardians of the Galaxy. And without him, I don't know how you do these characters well without him. And honestly, I feel like history in the other Avengers films where they were really kind of proves my point. Well, and if we could mention just really quick too, this movie almost didn't get made because in the midst of this, I don't know if you recall, is when I remember, Gunn yeah. got fired... Um, I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, and it was actually the cast that petitioned for him to come back. Yeah. And said, you know, I really don't see a way to do this without him. And I had a lot of respect for the fact that apparently Bradley Cooper was asked to replace him as director for volume three and said, I can't in good conscience direct something I didn't write. Yeah. Especially something that is so covered in James Gunn's fingerprints. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that you're right. Like it, you couldn't do this movie trilogy without him because this is his baby. This is the thing that really put his career on the map. Yes. And then got him to doing Suicide Squad and Peacemaker yeah. and everything and else. Now he's running DC. So <laughs> yeah, which is a whole other so, discussion. But um, so I, I guess, Christy, I'm, I'm really left with the question of what you're going to end up rating Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. So I will say the redeeming thing that we went over in depth, of, of course, was Rocket's story. I thought it was beautiful, it was moving, and that it needed to be told. And that if you're going to justify another Guardians movie, that this was the story I wanted to see. Yeah. Um. I think, though, the the Gamora story wasn't handled great. And like we said, too, I, I felt that the music could have been a lot more impactful. And I know it's a terribly hard thing to choose. He said, Gunn said he had 180 yeah. songs yes. on his list. He Which was trying insane. to choose from. And narrowed it down somehow to like 12. So I get it. Um, but, you know, call me. Maybe I can help. <laughs> yeah, call me, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that it, it has a lot of good things about it, but there's a couple of big things that bothered me. So I kind of end up in the 
3.5. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, Cosmo the dogs um, out of five because it did take a hit um, for those things for me and just didn't stand up to the depth and the fun I thought that you had in volume one mm. and two. That is interesting. Um, and the music that's going to keep me listening over and over again. So, yeah, I just, I, I wanted a little bit more. Yeah, I am, I mean, I'm fascinated uh, because uh, for me, um, not only was this the best Guardians of the Galaxy film, um, which for me, I mm-hmm. like number two better than I like one, so I'm different than a lot of people, but mm-hmm. um, this is absolutely one of the best Marvel films I think that they've made. Uh, I... You can find me on Letterboxd and look at my rating, but I have this way up there. It's, I think, it's the first time in a very long time that the Marvel formula has found a way to create a movie that can take itself seriously enough, also have some fun in it, and really just be everything that you can be for the most part. I will say, like you did, that you know, with what we had with Gamora... And I do feel like where we were with, um, you know, the the awesome mix, not quite up to the level of the previous films. So for me, that means that this movie is a 4.5 out of 5 Star Lords because I think it's great. And I think that what makes it great is that it's a film I actually haven't stopped thinking about since I saw it. And so much of that has come from the thematic elements that we were Mm -hmm. discussing. And I love that. But I've also been thinking about all of the character storylines too, you know, and Mm -hmm. and the way in which those worked thematically. And so, and it's actually a movie I'm very excited to, to watch again. I kind of wish I had had time this weekend to actually go see it again. Because this also, I feel like, is a movie that's relentless. Like it just starts and it never stops. Um, and mm-hmm. there's so much to it, but I cannot wait to revisit it again. I could not recommend it more highly. Like, you know, uh, not every Marvel movie is a winner, but to me, this movie is a winner. And so I hope people will, will go see it. And, and because this is the kind of Marvel movie I want more of, right? Um, mm-hmm. Well-written, character done well, you know, and, and all of that. So... Uh, but Christy, uh, before we get out of here, what would you like to recommend to everybody this week? So uh, I actually am going to recommend something really cool that I did recently. Uh, you may have seen my pictures of it, Matt, but I got to go to Harry Potter the Exhibition Ooh. with uh, my sister, my mom, and uh, my brother-in-law and their kids. So it was awesome because for one, we got to take the kids for a belated birthday present, but also it's uh, basically like a traveling exhibit that's movie accurate that covers all the breadth of the Harry Potter films so great. in the things that you see. Um, and a lot of the items are actual set pieces that are set up in glass like a museum. That's fantastic. So it's not. Yeah, it's not like a replica or something. It's like, these are the actual costumes on a mannequin that the actors and actresses wore. So um, 
yeah, it's got a lot of cool stuff. Um, they walk you through kind of everything grouped into categories like potions, um, herbology, and all the different sections like that. Um, and then, of course, they've got the starting point where you're in the middle of a room surrounded by four hallways for each of the houses. So you can pick if you want to check out Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Slytherin, or um, Gryffindor. That's so much fun. So, yeah. Um, and it, it was reasonable. Um, it was about $40 a person. So I highly recommend checking out online Harry Potter the Exhibition to see if it's coming to your city. Nice. Um, I think they're in New York now. They just left Atlanta. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely worth it. And you could spend all day there if they would let you. <laughs> that is awesome. I am pretty jealous. I mean, of course, I've been to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, but this sounds like it would be a blast. So I'm hopeful that oh, yeah. they maybe will come to Seattle or something. So I'm going to have to look that up myself. Um, I'm actually going to recommend something that is out now for uh, home digital release. Um, and it is... Dungeons and Dragons that just came out, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Because if you miss this in the theater, uh, gosh, go buy this digitally. You will not regret it. Um, of course, we talked about it on yeah. episode uh, 224, and I'm waiting for the, the home release, uh, physical release to come out. But, uh, you know, seriously, if you can rent this, go rent it now. You know, I mean, it's just, it's so worth it. It was so much fun. And I saw that this had come out digitally and it's so worth checking out if you didn't get a chance to see it in a theater. And if, you know what, if it's still in theaters playing near you, go see it. It's totally worth your time. Uh, and so hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy it as much as Christy and I did. But Christy, if people wanted to catch up with you and, you know, see what else you've got going on these days, where would they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And, you know, when I'm not here, I had a show on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network called Sabers and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa about geek stuff we didn't usually get to talk about. So I hope you'll check that out. But what about you? Well, of course, uh, I'm all over social media under the name MattRushing02. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero are the places I'm most active. And then outside the 602 Club, I've got Literary Treks, The Orb, Warp 5, Saddle Up and the Artificial Tango all here on TFM. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got Outpost and Aggressive Negotiations. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. <laughs>